because the gospel makes all the difference in our lives. It is the treasure that is ours in earthen vessels, and we're so thankful for it, the message that saves, that you have ordained even the foolishness of preaching to be the way in which people, men and women, boys and girls, will be saved forever. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you have visited so many of us in this room with salvation at a particular point in our life, where we say with the man, I was born blind, but now I see that you have uh, brought, came near to us, convicting us of our sin and our due judgment, for the wages of sin is death, and you have opened our hearts and eyes to the love of God seen in Christ and the cross, the cross where the payment for sin was made, the, the payment uh, for my sin, for our sin, for the Lamb of God who bore in our substitution died in our place. And thank you, Lord, with open, outstretched arms, we received the free gift of salvation. At the end of ourselves, recognizing clearly, Lord, that we are merely the wretched of the earth. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is the gospel. It is all about Jesus. It is the word of God. It is the fellowship of the saints. It's the presence of the Spirit of God. And we come here this morning, Lord, to hear from heaven all oh, how we desperately need to. Help us, Lord. Feed our souls. Equip us and train us and send us forth, Lord, as missionaries into our community and into this world. May our lives be changed, for the gospel changes everything our homes and our workplaces, where we study and go to school, places that we play, may it be the presence of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for us as a church that we would have a tremendous broken heart for lost people and recognize that you have strategically placed each one of us in our places in this life to bear witness for Jesus. And I pray that we might not fail at that, we have failed at so many things so often, and you have always picked us up and forgiven us, and we're thankful. But may we be focused on things really important and recognize the passage of time. It goes so very quickly, and then we'll be ushered into eternity if Jesus should tarry in coming. And so, Lord, open our eyes and teach us this morning thy holy scriptures. Accomplish your purpose in each one of our lives, if there be there. Those here today that have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, open hearts and save them even today. And we'll give you the thanks for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your Bible and uh, open up to uh, Luke's uh, Gospel, chapter 13. One of the uh, realities of the Christian life is, is that... Uh, Humility is absolutely essential. And we as a people are, are very prideful people. The way to the cross is low. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You have to recognize uh, who, who and what you really are for you to become possessors of eternal life. And that's hard for people to do in their sin. We have very inflated views of ourselves. Now, it is true that we're made in God's image, and uh, we have infinite value and worth. 
you are priceless just because of that. Because you are priceless, there's going to be a judgment. If there was no judgment, it would denigrate the worth of you as an individual. There is a final review for every man or woman who's ever lived. If you're a Christian, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. And Christ himself will review your life incomplete. Now that's not to determine whether you enter heaven or hell. Often you'll hear that. God weighs it like this, you know. That's not true. Salvation is a gift. It's been paid for completely at Calvary. And if you possess that gift, then when you stand before Christ the Lord at the Bema Seat, you'll give an account for things done in service for Jesus or things not done. And you'll have reward or loss of reward. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are not a Christian. I don't care if you're a member of a church or you've been baptized or your mother's godly and all the rest. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you die in that unrepented state, the Bible says that you're lost forever. There's no purgatory. There's no second chance. Death seals it. And you will stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment. And the books will be open. And you, the book of your life will be played. And uh, before you would be cast into the lake of fire. As horrible as that sounds, I'm just the delivery guy. If you got a Sunday morning paper today, somebody delivered it. I deliver it. That guy or that lady doesn't print the paper. Uh, someone else does that. God printed it. That's the message. I'm going to give a report as to did I declare the whole counsel of God. And so I'm going to, whether it's good news or not, tell you what God's Word says and uh, let God work in each one of our hearts, my heart too. That's what the Word says. And so the way to the Christian life is with humility. We bend our knee, we recognize that we have committed cosmic treason against God. And we're deserving of death instantly, and that God owes us nothing. You have to begin at the right point. This is God's world. It's amazing the, the forbearance and patience of God. How long would you take would you put up with open and outright rebellion? How long would you do that? Let's put it in a work setting. Let's say you hire somebody and you tell them, you're the boss and the owner, let's say, this is what I expect. Mm -hmm. And day after day, week after week, they do the opposite. They show up late, they take three-hour lunches, they don't do the work, and they thumb their nose uh, in your face uh, when you're not looking, so you, so you think. And it goes on and on and on. Now you come to the annual review. <laughs> Amazing that they made an annual review. How long would you put up with that? You wouldn't, would you? You'd fire them instantly. You're out of here. Now in a far more serious venue, this is God's world. It's far more serious than work, as, as much as we like work, or some of you don't like work. It's much more serious. He's the king of kings. He's sovereign. It's his word. We breathe his air. We drink his water. He has made us. Where do you think you came from? People stumble around in their rebellion to God thinking they're self-made or they're something, nothing more than the animal. They're a cosmic accident. And yet, at the end of the day, they know that's not true. They know that's not true. God has stamped his awareness on every heart of every man and woman who's ever lived. And there's a God awareness 
and we hold it down. We press it. We don't like to think about it. We drown our conscience. We don't, and we know, we know, we know that he's there and that we, we, and we, we go like, we live with a, a fist out before him. Listen, what I'm saying here, and we're going to look at the text, is there's one thing about the life of a Christian is it ought to be a repentive life. It's not a one and done. As you and I live repent, we come to repentance at salvation, the way of the cross, when God opens our heart, he gives us faith and repentance, and we cry out to God and God saves us, whether you were little or old. It doesn't end there. And so what I mean is that's not the last time we repent. We've been forgiven all, finally, past, present, future. But if we're going to walk with the Lord and walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, we recognize, wait a minute, though the power of sin has been broken in my life, I still sin as a Christian. Romans 7. The things that I don't want to do, I find that I do. And the things I want to do, I don't always do. And I discover there's a conflict going on. And that means that daily, if you're serious about growing, in serving and loving the Lord Jesus, you need to deal with your sin. And therefore, you live a repentive lifestyle. So you get on your knees, you say, Lord, examine my heart today. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, and strength. But I, I realize I said some things yesterday. Lord, it just opened up where it came from. I don't know. And I thought things, uh, lust in my heart, or greed, or covetousness, or anger, or these thoughts. And you deal with it. You confess it in humility. Lord, it's sin. I've sinned again. And, and I've worn out my Bibles. I don't know if you like First John 1, 9. If we confess, he's talking to Christians. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's about my daily prayer. And sometimes more than daily, right? It's the way it is. It's a repentant lifestyle. Well, we're going to look at what some of the writers in, in days gone by have called in Jesus' lifetime and teaching one of the hard sayings of Christ. I've entitled the message, Repent or Perish. And if you find Luke chapter 13, the doctor's gospel, uh, it's a very interesting section of Scripture. I'm glad it's in the Word of God. Uh, it really is instructive for us. For God often gets blamed. You see it even in your homeowner's insurance. You know, so most of you have homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance. You know, like uh, the insurance company will, 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 you're protected, right? You got a piece of the rock. Uh, yeah, unless what? There's an act of God. God's <laughs> actually mentioned. You know, like, it's rather interesting. God gets blamed if it's bad stuff. And if it's bad stuff and God did it, then we don't pay kind of a thing in your insurance. But, uh, Jesus had some, a different take on it in this heart, one of the hard sayings or difficult sayings of him, and it is very helpful for us. And I hope you find yourself turning to this, thinking about this, and it will help equip you as you talk to people the next time disaster happens. You think we're done seeing disaster? We'll never see another 9-11. I hope that's so. I hope we don't. I hope we never see another tsunami. I hope we never. Do you think we're going to see? Get, yes. Yes, big and small. I wish that weren't so. I wish this were just heaven. This, this is not heaven. Have you noticed? It's not heaven. Somebody said, this is hell. I go, this is not hell. You don't want, you, you don't want to be there either. 
So let's read the text, and you'll discover here. Uh, I, I just want to back it up because the chapters are arbitrary. They seem to be very helpful, but Jesus has just warned the crowd that he has come to bring division on earth in chapter 12, verse 51 and 52, right in that section. And then he has, a, uh, in 57 and 58 of chapter 12, 59, uh, the Lord is essentially saying through a story, uh, you know, on your way to settle accounts with God. That's the point. And that's life. We're, we, did you know? We're all on our way to settle the account with God. The magistrate, the judge. Settle it quickly. In other words, now he's going to tell us what that means. Settle it quickly, chapter 13. What, what do you mean by that? Well, there were some present, verse 1, at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus, he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree and planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, three years, I've come seeking fruit from this fig tree, and I found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, this is the gardener, the, the tender of the garden. He answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, till I dig around it and put on manure. Then it should bear fruit next year. Well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Well, whenever disaster, you see on your sheet, whenever disaster strikes, people always ask the same unanswerable questions. They ask them. Uh, when, the, when the earthquake hit in San Francisco in the late 80s, I happened to be teaching a group of doctors and their wives. Many of them were unbelievers, and I had a lesson planned, and when that hit, uh, they were all full of questions. They said, you're a theologian, why did God do this? And we spent the next two and a half hours talking about uh, natural calamities and disasters and tragedies and all that, and where's God in it, and how do you think about that, and how should we think about that, what does the Bible say about that? And I went right to our passage here today. Well, the same thing happened after 9-11, you remember? Then after the tsunami in 04, hey, I couldn't believe the, the tsunami was already in 04, I'm like, wait a minute, you asked, I was said, uh, nah, what, three years ago maybe? Time, like this. And then I was startled again, 100,000 people died. I was like, I knew that, but I guess it didn't, 100,000 people died in that tsunami that tragically hit in Asia. And people ask, uh, why did God allow it? Further, it's wondered what the people did to deserve it. Well, what did they do? And why didn't God do something to stop it? 
You know, as if God is on trial. Here's a, here's a quick answer. God, folks, God is not on trial here. We are. Get the right perspective. You're going to see where this unfolds in, in, in the words of Jesus. Now, in reality, on your sheet, God designed, and I don't know if you ever thought about the theology of pain and pleasure, but there's a great message in both of them. Now, we love pleasure, and we love sort of normal, and Lord, skip the pain, right? I'm not big on pain. I went through two hip surgeries. I, I'm, a, I'm a wimp. I, really, I admit it. I confess it right up. Right, Mike? I'm not big on pain. John has all my sympathy with his knee. Hopefully that gets healed. Pain, arthritic pain, all that. Oh, man. But God designed both pain and pleasure to be signs in a fallen world that point to him. Well, what's the message then? I, I love the way John Piper in his writing puts it. This is what he says. If you were to ask pleasure, if you were to ask pleasure, what are you saying? What's the message that God has in the pleasures of life? Yeah, the pleasure would say this. God is like this, but only better. Don't make an idol out of me. People do that, don't they? They're hedonists. They're pleasure seekers. They make it like it's a God-like pleasure says. God is like me, but only better. He is the most beautiful, pleasurable, wonderful entity in all the universe. I'm simply a pointer, and I point to him. I'm a sign. Well, what does pain say? If you could ask pain, pain is the same. And pain would say this, if you went up with a microphone, say, what sin deserves is like this. I'll just jump right back to Genesis 3. It's strange when you think some of you ladies have born little uh, babes and, and now they have some things that help, but there still is a pain in giving childbirth. I remember when Faithy was uh, delivering uh, and I had a joy of being there. Yeah, I guess it was a joy. It was, it, it was, it was an education being there for that. Uh, thank you, Lord, I'm a man. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, you know? And, and Faithy was, uh, and she's like, I think I'm going to go natural, you know, all the way. And then finally, as she goes, well, now what happens if I need some drugs, you know? And, the, and then it turned out, she went like, what would you go with Sarah? Like at uh, uh, 14 hours or something, every few minutes? Oh, I was crying. I was all night long. Holy cow. And then it's like, give, she's yelling, give me drugs. Screaming out in the house, give me drugs, you know. And the, lady, and, and the lady said, oh, honey, you're already done. You might as well just finish. And I remember that guy. <laughs> Genesis 3. Now, initially, Eve, to have babies was not to have pain. Now, why did God give pain there? Pain, not in an end in itself, but it was a pointer. It was to point to God. It was to point that sin, really, uh, sin really deserves, uh, uh, sin deserves is like this, pain, but only worse. Don't take offense at me. Pain would say, I'm only a merciful warning, pointing to what our sin deserves. I don't know if you ever thought about it. Next time. You ever hit your finger with a hammer? I did. I do one of those dances in the garage. I, you've never done that, Mike and Billy. <laughs> It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. The message is uh, our sin deserves that, but even worse. 
Uh, God didn't have to design pain and pleasure. And don't, don't we love pleasure? What, what kind of pleasures? I just wrote a few. Sexual pleasure, God made that as a wonderful delight. It's his wedding gift for husband and wife. Sometimes the church, we don't talk about that. That's a, a great gift that God gives. He's pleased with that. It could, it could have been something wholly different, you know, conjugal relations to produce. All right, I guess I have to do this. This he could have made it painful. It's a delight. But it's not an end in itself. It points to God. What about eating? Eating is pleasurable, isn't it? Yeah, give me another one. Hit me again. I'll take, oh, that's good. It's pleasurable. Doesn't have to be. Could be all Shackley products. God said, here's your pill. Hey, that's what you're eating today. And then the variety of the sensations of strawberries and chocolate ice cream and hoagies and, and all that good stuff, you know, roast turkey, Thanksgiving. I love the one you're like, you're dying here. Some of you skip breakfast, I can see. You go like, you know, and the, there's pleasure in that, right? Some of you guys are good at it. Friends, there's pleasure in friendship and sharing. Laughter. God could have, laughter is a funny thing that, that God made us with the ability. I'm not talking sinful laughter. I'm talking about things that are really funny. And we, 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 we kind of shake and the blood increases and we enjoy that moment, Right? Something that's genuinely funny. Um, uh, and so beauty is pleasurable, right? There's things, beauty. We go like, oh, look at that sunset. We just want to take it all in, and the sun's going down, or it's coming. You know, and the f- pleasure, the pleasures point to God. and says God is that, but more in his absolute beauty. You know, God is beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, man. Wow. Anyways, I think he's right. One day, Jesus was talking about tragedy. That's our text. And his response, I have to tell you, is almost shocking. You wouldn't expect it. I mean, you'd expect the Lord of glory, the gentle shepherd, right, to go like, yes, it really broke my heart, you know, when I heard that. And we, let, let's pray for their families, or the Galileans, and uh, those children when the tower fell. I mean, Aren't we really expecting that? Aren't we, I mean, isn't he the, the great shepherd? Okay, let's, let's, let's hug here and let's pray. That, that's, it was a tr- and they all knew of it. I mean, it's like reading the Jerusalem Times. They come and report, Lord, what about this? And then he goes, like, he's pointing at the headline of the paper. Yeah, but also, did you read this? The tower fell. It was a construction project. Boom. He came down. <laughs> the Lord's response is like, Wow. Twice, he uses that, those two episodes, those tragedies, uh, to, uh, as an evangelistic appeal. And he calls those that hear him to repentance, to salvation. Wow. What's he mean? Well, we're going to discover what it means. Well, there are two parts, then, of Jesus' response to That's what Jesus is doing. He's warning, for according to Jesus, unless we repent, we too will perish. And so John Donne's famous Meditation 17, for whom the bell tolls, the bell in the belfry in the church in the village, tolling, calling what? Calling the villagers to another funeral. Someone has died. And John Donne wrote that beautiful meditation, for whom the bell tolls, it's tolling for you. There's a part of you that died, but 
and a part of you that's gone, but uh, that tragedy ought to alert you about something in your life, for you're not going to be around here long either. And Jesus says, you know what? The message is repent. Every time you hear a natural disaster or calamity, read the headlines, watch it on TV, it's another merciful call to God for you to repent. Now, I think that's the message our friends need to hear. When they, they back in a corner and they're like, they want you to justify God. Where's your God in this? Jesus would say, God is not on trial. You are. And you know what God's message for you is? And according to Jesus, repent or perish. They fell out of the sky, they burned up, they blew up, they perished, and we're shocked by that, and we weep for those who weep, but Jesus says, don't stop there, weep for yourself. Do you think you don't deserve that? Do you think they're worse than you? And here's God incarnate in his final evaluation. He says what? I think so, I don't think, no. He's omniscient. He knows every one of those 18. He wasn't surprised by it. Jesus has never been surprised. We all stand on equal footing is what he's saying. We are all sinners. Cosmic treason is our guilt. And it's just a matter of time. They suddenly, but if it plays out and we live a full life, we will die here. It matters not. The death rate is still unchanged. You know what it is? It's 100%. And Jesus calls all people everywhere to repent. You're not okay. You know the book was out a few years ago. I'm okay, you're okay. Jesus says, not. No. That's of the pit. And people think, like, oh, you die, just lay down and hear music and lights. And, and I, saw it, I saw a movie the other night where he said, well, that's it. When you're gone, you're gone. Mm, be careful. Satan would love people to be confused by that one. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now this past week, one of my old friends uh, died. He was a tremendous help and blessing to me in the ministry of the gospel, Joseph Vance. Joe had Alzheimer's the last couple of years and didn't even know who he was from what we could tell. But he served as a faithful deacon and servant and gentle spirit and was a blessing to Faithy and I, and to many of us. Dave could say the same, and others, and many of you know Joe. He is in glory. He is so far better off in the presence of God. He's not in, in between, not some holding tank. And the family is blessed to know that the, though they lost Joe several years ago because he was there, but with Alzheimer's, it robbed him. He is in the presence of Jesus, more alive more capable, more glorious than ever. And we shall see him again. Wow, why? Because Joe repented years ago. God opened his heart. Actually, I should tell you, I was thinking about it. It was through a men's sports team. I said, Joe, when did you get saved? He said, well, you know, uh, I love softball. And I want to play softball. And Dan, you probably played with Joe with that. And uh, he, he uh, said, I, and so uh, I played on the men, church men's softball team. But they had a requirement. You had to show up at church occasionally. 
So when I showed up, I go, well, what's this? What do you mean, I'm a sinner? Yeah, I guess I'm a sinner. What's this? Hell's coming, and there's an option of heaven. What's Christ? And he came to hear the gospel. God opened his heart and saved him, and God grew him. And that's what he's done in your life if you've come to know him. And if you've not, you're on very perilous grounds. Jesus' word to you is repent. Repent or perish. I'm just the delivery guy. This is the word of Jesus here. We need to take that to heart. Well, the first example, verse 1 to 5, every, we notice in these two uh, examples of tragedy, every tragedy is simply another call, a warning, uh, warning, calling all people to repentance. Jesus uh, was told of the massacre when Pilate had pious Galilean Jews murdered. The Roman soldiers uh, gathered. They, they were from Galilee. They were in the temple in Jerusalem or in the temple court. Uh, getting ready to, to do one of the uh, sacrifices. And, and uh, the uh, Romans pulled out their swords and killed them, took their blood, mixed it with the animals, pure sacrilege from the pagans there, and, uh, and then had that sacrifice, and it sent shudder through the people, as you can imagine. Absolute shudder. Well, people assumed on your sheet there's a direct relationship between sin and suffering. And this is often thought of. There's a direct relationship between sin and what they suffered. I guess they got what they deserved. Maybe we didn't really know them that well. They really thought that back in this ancient day. And they think it today, and we find it even back prior in the day of Job. Remember Job's three counselors? I have one reference down there, Job 4.7. You can check it later. One of the, the wrong counselors was saying that the innocent don't suffer. God really knows you. You're lying, and so you're getting yours, buddy. And Job is going like, what? I love the Lord. I'm, I've, struck, God is, I've lived a righteous, blameless life. No, you're lying. You're getting yours. You're getting yours. You're getting it. You're getting it. People think that. People may not say that, and we sort of sometimes wonder, I wonder if they got what they deserve. Now, we'll say it this way. You made your bed lay in it. Don't we say that? We'll use phrases like that. It's just the same thing. There is not, listen, the point is there is not a direct relationship. Always. Now, you jump off the bridge, you're going to get yours. That's a pretty one-to-one, right? Uh huh. We live in a sinful world. You do some stupid stuff, like I'm going to walk down Main Street and see if God's really going to take care of me. Well, he, he might, but not, might not be in this world. <laughs> you know, like dumb and dumber, right? There is. But most of the time, it's indirect. We live in a world that's fallen. Stuff happens. There are consequences. But here's the point. Sometimes wicked people, God in his dear patience, lets them live a long, long time as he waits for them to come to repentance. It's amazing. And sometimes the, the godly men die young. You ever read David Brainerd's diary? Incredible diary. He died, I think he was 29. Jonathan Edwards writes of David Brainerd. 29. He, uh, uh, died so early. My father, who was not even a Christian, he used to tout the expression... Uh, only, only the good die young. <laughs> you ever hear that? Only the good die young? And he used to smile as he kept living, and then he died at 54, but uh, <laughs> only the good die young. 
there's some funny expressions, but it's forever changed with, uh, with Julie and Brenda. Like, he would often say, well, bad things happen in three. I, and I've told you that I never know when you start counting. When do you, when does it, when's number one? It just seems like <laughs> I I'll, I, I'll never say that. I'll only ever say that with a footnote because of the, her dear, their dear family. Her, her mama died, her grandmother died, and her father died, and boom, 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 within what? What was that, 15 days, 20 days? Oh, wow. There's that one-to-one relationship. You can't tell, and you don't know. You see, bad things happen to bad people. No. Bad things happen to good people. They do. It does. It happened to Job. It happens in life. You can't figure it out. God oftentimes keeps that to himself. The absence of calamity in your life is not necessarily a sign of God's approval. Sometimes God's mercy allows wicked men to live a very, very long time. Well, Jesus really is saying to them, you're asking the wrong question. Your astonishment to the, to the crowd is located at the wrong place. You should be asking, and here it is, why didn't it happen to me? It should have. I deserve it, and even worse. And that's the way we ought to think about it. Some of you guys were in the military, and, and uh, I remember uh, Faithy's dad talking about being part of Patton's uh, Third Army in Europe for four and a half years, He wasn't part of the first wave of D-Day, but if you ever saw Saving Private Ryan, he could hardly watch that because uh, he said that was the most accurate thing you ever saw of the D-Day invasion on the uh, Normandy there with the bullets whizzing by. and and, I mean, it's pretty great. How many of you have seen that? That's not something like, hey, hey, uh, let's get some popcorn and see that again. You kind of, you know, you go like, "Ah, I don't think so. And why did the bullet hit this guy and not this guy? Yeah, I really, I deserve that. I mean, that's the right beginning place if we're understanding Jesus' word when tragedy and calamity and trouble hit. Well, Lord, you know my heart. You saved me, but I, I'm really of the wretched of the earth. I, I, I'm a sinner. I, I, I don't ask for justice because I'm out of here right instantly if, if I get what's fair to me. It's the mercy of God. Mercy. He holds back. And occasionally, he holds back for 10,000 days, right? But occasionally it breaks through. And 18, die over here. And the tower falls over here. And we all deserve by nature God's wrath and judgment. And he holds it back. And we presume on his mercy and think somehow we deserve more. I deserve a good life. That's the American mentality. I deserve to have it all, right? That's justice. That's holy, unbiblical thinking. And that's what gets us down the wrong trail. And so the next time disaster hits, we should say, I'm amazed, Lord, that it was them and not me. That's the right response. And I think that's the response you should make when you're trying to bear witness for Jesus to your friends and family and people that that want you to explain God. Now there's a big one, right? Explain God. That was an act of God. Why did God let, and it, you know, this real tear-jerking, and we say, listen, here's the message. God says we should weep with those that weep, and that's right. We do. We do. I hope you do. But don't stop there. Jesus says we should weep for ourselves. 
because they're no different than we are. And I really deserved it. And Lord, I don't know why it wasn't me. And then we say that to them. He's saying it really should have been you and me. That's the right perspective on that. And that puts it in the right paradigm. And we don't have the right to make moral judgments about one's suffering. There are some churches that do that. If you want to be healthy, then just pray. And if you don't have enough faith, you know, uh, then it's your problem. That's a terrible thing to do. Horrible thing. It's completely unbiblical, that goofy idea. How horrible that is. God is up to things and, and doing things in our life and sometimes allows pain for a long time. And sometimes that pain is the only way it gets our attention. Somebody, I, I read that, that uh, Bunyan once uh, wrote something along that line. Let me see if I can find it here. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, that Puritan pastor of, a, of, of another day. Oh yeah, here it is. Some, some of the life experiences that God uses to bring us to repentance and so that we hear his voice. Well, what are they? He says, sickness. You know, sometimes some of us, our ears are all plugged up when things are going well. We hardly listen to God. So, well, we God caused them to get sick again. They need a reminder. They're not as big as they, they think they are. And so when we're laying down on a bed and we're looking straight up, it's amazing. Our ears get cleaned out. We go like, oh, Lord, what have I been doing? And, and we go, Lord, please. And, we, and it brings us to repentance. Bunyan's right in that. So what are some of the sickness? Sadness is another one. You know, when our hearts are ripped open. You know, that's why funerals are tremendous times to present the gospel. You have a living, open object, you know, and uh, you too are going to die. It's a matter of when, you know, and are you ready? And you can be ready, and here's sin's the problem. Jesus is the answer, and come to him. Come. You know, and I've done this at times, and it's, I felt like it was stone cold. We, uh, in Indiana, lived uh, ne- next door to a, it was called a mortuary. It was kind of interesting. The Lauder, it was French. It was spelled the laughter. Imagine that, the laughter mortuary. I don't know if you ever heard of it, Dan, with your family. But I go, like, you got to be kidding! A laughter funeral home. Anyway, I said to Darwin, that was his name, the Lauder. He, he asked me, he said, "Hey, if the families don't have a pastor, would you like to preach?" I go, "Like, if my schedule, I, any of them, just call me. I'd be glad to." Do. You can't imagine some of the settings I'm in. And, and it was very, it was harder than I thought when I told them that because here I am speaking and I never met the person when they were living. But it gave an opportunity to talk and then present the gospel and to, to see the, the faces of people. And I know they didn't know me from Adam, but I took 15 minutes to lift up Jesus, to talk about eternal life and the wonder of heaven and the horror of hell, and to say, and if our sister, if our brother here trusted Jesus, they're in heaven. It was the big if because I didn't know, I didn't talk to him. It was hard in that way. But the hardness of people, hardness Reminded me in Numbers, you know, there's a day when, when the children of Israel got sick. And it shows the hardness in the pride of our hearts, my heart and yours, without the work of God in it. All they had to do with a brazen serpent was lift it up. All they had to do was look, and it turned into a song, look and live, right? Look under that brazen serpent, lift it up, and you will be healed. That was a great picture pointing to the cross and Jesus. And yet the hordes of people refused. 
Now, is that, what, what is that? And yet it's even more so with the gospel. They hear the gospel. Look and live. Look unto Jesus. Come humbly. Confess your sin. Repent. Receive. No, I won't. People may not say that, though some have told me that. In their hearts, they go, no. And they think, well, maybe at the end. Maybe at the end. Hey, listen, you think these Galileans would have showed up that day? How about that? Hey, today you wake up, you know, shaving, getting all right. No, they didn't shave. They trimmed their beard, and they go, okay, we're going to go to the Temple Mount today, going to work for great day. Like, they didn't know what was coming. Aren't you glad you don't know the future? I was thinking about that. They might have said, nah, nah, I think I'll stay home. I'm going to take a sick day today. I'm not going not gonna to show up. So if you knew the day you are going to die, what would you do? I think I'll stay in bed this day here, maybe. I, yeah. <laughs> or those on the tower, right? When the tower fell? You know, just arbitrarily walking on there, going over, I'm going to go get a hot dog, at, you know, or, or a Big Mac. At, ah, oh, if they knew that, they would probably say, nah, I think I'm going to die. I'm going to start my diet today. I'm not going to go down Main Street, <laughs> right? Death is certain. It's 100%. 150,000 people die every single day. Death will find us. Jesus' statement assumes that we're all guilty, we're guilty sinners, every one of us, you and I, and that death will find us. There's a man that I talk to a lot, and sometimes he says it in so many words, he thinks death has lost his address. Uh, but it hasn't. God's been merciful to him, letting him live a long time. And I pray that he comes to know the Lord Jesus. The message is that tragedy should drive home uh, to each one of us uh, the message of repentance. In a disaster, death comes suddenly, yet the death rate is still unchanged. Wow. Well, the second example, uh, as I've already alluded to it so quickly, Jesus tells of a tragic accident. Not only the butchering, murdering, he's told of, he says, I got another one here. The day when the tower collapsed and killed 18 men, verses 4 and 5. This well-known disaster of that day, it was current talk of the town and the city, uh, did not happen to people who were greater sinners than others. Again, sin and suffering are related, but there's not a direct correspondence. They're sinners. We are all under judgment. Death will come. But sometimes God is patient with the wicked. Sometimes it seems completely arbitrary. You cannot make the one-to-one -one association. The, 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 the message is, why wasn't it me? Why wasn't it you? We deserved it as much as they did, but for the grace and the mercy of God. And that's the way we ought to think about that. Well, Jesus uh, explains in John 9, you can look at that later, verses 1 and 2. Remember the man that was born blind? And, uh, and the, it was so in that culture, they asked Jesus, who sinned? Verse 2 of John 9, who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin? He was born blind from birth. Now, it's kind of interesting. I mean, how, what, he sinned in utero or something? You know, if he's born blind. But, like, I don't know that... Or his parents, did they sin, and therefore they, got a, they had a blind son? And Jesus says, neither. But his blindness was for the glory of the kingdom of God. God was going to open his eyes, and the person of Jesus opened his eyes to teach that I am the light of the world. It was to be for the glory of God. That's why he was born. The way God has purpose in it. God could have stopped it. And we know even in, and let me just back up a little bit, natural calamities and all that, God is in charge. He's in charge. 
How about when he's walking on the water? That's nature. How about when he calmed the sea? How about two sparrows don't fall to the ground without uh, the knowledge of our Father? He could have stopped it. He could have prevented it. And so that, what does that tell us? That tells us no matter what it is, even in nature, it's not raging and I have a mind of its own. God is bringing about his purpose. There's purpose. And therefore that, that makes it significant for you and for me. And we don't we love that Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together for the good. Not for everybody. People quote that. I hear that all the time. Don't things so? all we're told they work out good in the end? Or they work out? No. But for those that love God, to those that are the called according to his purpose, God is weaving the tapestry of your life and mine if you know Jesus. And even in trouble and calamity and disaster and all these things to make us more like Jesus. That's what he's up to. And so Jesus says what? Jesus uh, again tells that tragedy should not be wasted by the living who escaped. Rather, we should take it to heart and repent of our sin or we will perish. Now what does repentance mean? Since that's the key word of the passage, I have on your sheet, repentance means to change our ways. Change, metanoia, means a change, a complete change in your thinking where we once loved sin and ran towards sin and planned to sin and lived in sin up to here in open treasonous rebellion before God, knowing that his word is contrary to that, doing it anyway, like Adam and Eve in the garden, it's the same. Don't eat of that tree, they're over there. And they transgressed the law of God and said, I'm going to take that, it looked good. It's going to make me smart. I'm going to be like God. And there are three essential elements when you think about repentance. Sin. It involves the mind, the emotion, and the will. The mind, we know that we have sinned, so when we come to repent, we're confronted with the reality that we're a sinner. That's the place of the law. The law is a good thing. It doesn't save us. It only condemns us. It only can, it shows us that we are great sinners. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Shouldn't have any idols in our heart. Our hearts are idol makers. Anything that has number one place in our life, that's an idol. Oh, God, forgive me. Calvin said our hearts are endless idol makers. And it's true. You, you, you know, we covet, we lust, we're greedy, we, we all these things. And it's the law that with a neon light shows us in technicolor, you're a sinner, you're lost. And therefore, it has great value. It leads us to Jesus. We go like, Lord, we're sinners. We can't keep the law. You're not far from the kingdom. You're not far. And so we cry out in desperation, Lord, I can't. And then in humility, I can't do it. I'm a sinner. I, I, I am in treason and in, in, in transgress the law of God in our mind. It's to be honest with God enough to admit that we're guilty of pride and lust and greed and bitterness and worry, self-pity, and all the other sins that we've committed a million times over. You ever think about, you know, you take a grocery list when you go down to the store, right? So sometimes, some of you are good, you don't need to do that. I have to write it down. My brains are on paper somewhere. When I lose that, I'm in deep trouble. Yeah, imagine the list, you ever think of this? This hit me the other day. Imagine making a list of all the sins you've committed. Wow, that would be, that's, a, that's a scary thought. How, how big would that list be? Now let's go back. When you first became aware, holy cow, millions? I mean, that really overwhelms you. Aren't you glad if you're in Christ, they're all paid for? 
there's no condemnation to them that are in Jesus. Therefore, no separation. Amen on that. That's the place of the law. Emotion, though, but it's more than simply a mind activity. It reaches down into our guts, and we grieve in that we have broken the heart of God. We allow it to sink in. You know, it's like with our children. They disobey us, like, and we confront them. What you did, you know, you, you hit your sister. I know that never happened in your home. You hit your sister, get over there and apologize. Ask her to forgive you. I'm sorry. Isn't that enough? Get over here. You didn't mean it. <laughs> you didn't mean it. How do you know that? You, I see the fire and the anger in your eyeballs. We've got to talk about this. You gotta, it's got to get down there, you see? And as we get on our knees, we go, Lord, I, I don't know how you can stand me. I, I, I've sinned this sin more times. Than I've, and, and, and allow the reality of that to enter into the depths of your soul emotionally and may bring tears. It has on me at points. I keep saying, Lord, I, I, if it were me, I'd give up on me. You know? Emotion. And then the will. It doesn't stop with the emotion. Then we resolve, Lord, go and sin no more. Lord, with your strength only. I can't do it. I'm complete failure in that. There's certain things I'm trying not to say. We, you know, we call Christian swearing and other words. And it'll come out when I'm frustrated. There are certain words. You're like, oh, pastor, don't say that. Like, and it really gets me irritated because I go, Lord, my heart is wicked. I don't want to say that. When that guy stuck his finger in my eye and whatever it was or this or that, and I, 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 it came out again, my heart is worse than I keep kidding myself thinking it is. And worse. You know, and worse. I've talked with many of you. Pastor, how come I swear? I can open my mouth, I can let it fly. I love Jesus. I know where you're coming from. You know, I have the same heart. You know, God is saving us. There's a sense where salvation, He saved us. That's the point of justification. We got all the righteousness that saves us. We are declared righteous, complete. It's a gift, right? But then in a sense, a progressive, we are being saved. That's our sanctification. That's where it's two steps forward, one back. And sometimes we go back more than one. We go like, oh, I'm hopeless. Oh, God. I'm a trophy of your grace. Oh, I'm ashamed of myself. And then the third aspect is glorified. We will be saved. That is, you're going to look better than ever when you're finally separated from sin and and glorified in glory, that's the finish line in heaven. Will go and sin no more. Well, at the second key word here is perish. What's that mean? I'm going to die too? Well, it doesn't mean that uh, simply we're going to die. Uh, repent or perish. Jesus says it twice in our passage. It's, it means here that you'll be cast, that man or woman who refuses to repent will be cast into hell, the lake of fire forever and ever. And ever. It doesn't mean, you know, you're going to get hit by a brick or a semi is going to run over. It may happen. But that's not what he means. The, incidentally, that's the, the gospel in a nutshell, that John 3.16. That's, that's what that means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, put your name in there, whosoever believes in him should not perish. That's the word but have everlasting life. The opposite of everlasting life 
is everlasting damnation in hell. That's what the word perish means. And you don't want that. And death seals it. And it's too late. You know, it's one thing you're running to the airport and you're, and you're going through the airport because you don't want to miss your plane. That's a bad thing. Too late, right? Too late. Too late. One thing to be late for class, and they shut it. Too late. One thing to miss your exam. Oversleep. I used to do that. Worried I would oversleep on exam day, you know, like and show up an hour late, and they won't let me in. Too late. But to miss heaven because you waited too long and presumed on the mercy of God in our friends to do that. We need to remind people, Jesus is saying here, there's a day at the end when God's patience ends and it's too late. We need to be sure. Be sure in your heart of heart that you have repented of sin and asked Jesus to save you. And then as you live a Christian life, live a daily repentive life. Confessing sins, asking God to grow you up in grace. Such is the Christian life. Whether young or old, that's what it is. Trusting Jesus for your salvation. Uh, Kent Hughes writes, the word repent is a change of mind that brings a change of action. You just can't have, you just don't take Jesus and have your sin too. You see? It's not like try Coke. Remember that? Try Coke, it was a little model. Try Coke. Uh, the, the beverage. Coke, try Coke. <laughs> what a day we live in, right? <laughs> All right? Just try Jesus and hold on to your, No. If you're genuinely saved and repentance has come to you, then, then it will change you. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, new, new mindset, new desire. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new in that process of growing. Simply, Jesus' parable, we read that on the fig tree. The parable of the fig tree in verses 6 to 9 tells that there's a limit to God's mercy. Reinforce what he was saying about repentance. Jesus tells this parable. The owner uh, who had patiently waited for three years, that's uh, God himself, in the, who is in the, in the uh, parable as the owner. He is the owner of the earth and all that. That's what it's referring to. The owner patiently waits for three years. The fig tree bears no fruit. What can we say by way of a lesson? Is, as the owner comes to the, to the, uh, to the garden... What can we say? Number one, he expected to find fruit. It was reasonable. It's a fruit tree, right? What can we say? God, you know, God expects you and I to have fruit in our life to bring forth fruit that comes from repentance. That was John the Baptist's message. Bring forth the fruits of repentance. When you and I have repented and are saved, and then we live a repentant life, there are evidences of that. You, you know, you're going to be more like Jesus. You're going to have a song in your heart. You're going to have the joy of the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. I about say it every day in my prayer. Lord, may increasing measure, may love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, patience, self-control, flow through me in increasing measure. that People would see Jesus. That's, all, that's what God's up to. And so the, the owners come looking for fruit. People say, oh, I'm saved and see no fruit. Oh, I hope they're saved, but what's, there's a problem there. 
And I don't know if they are or not, but I just want to see abundance of fruit. I used to say that. What a terrible thing to do to your family and friends. Let's say you die and you're sort of straddling. There's not really much evidence of Christ in your life. And to have your family have that dialogue in front of your casket, right? I wonder if dad made it. That's a horrible thing. There ought to be such a a fullness of fruit that it's just overwhelming and there's no question and it bears tremendous witness. Dad is in heaven, mom is in heaven, or or, or our son is in glory. That's the way it ought to be. He expected fruit. Otherwise, it was wasting space. You're not wasting space, are you? Or nutrients, right? Are you doing that? Are you just taking up space? That was an expression. You're just taking up space. Thank. (laughs) I am. No, you're not. (laughs) Don't just take up space. The caretaker intercedes. Is that the Lord Jesus interceding for the Father? I I don't know. Is it the Holy Spirit? I'm not quite sure. uh, I've read different writers in different ways. Wait another year. One more year. Let's work the soil. And it's the word manure or dung. Let me put dung around it. Uh, Actually, it's the cruder form of the word in the Greek. And and next year, uh, there'll, there'll be fruit. There'll be fruit. And if not, then you can cut it down. <clears throat> wow. The parable is a sober warning for fruitless souls. It's a, it's, it tells us that God is waiting patiently. Patiently waiting for people to bring forth fruits of repentance. And we know that the window of opportunity for forgiveness will not remain open forever. Humanity has only been on earth for a number of millennia. That's it. And the world's population, about 6 billion people, is just about what you expect, assuming some reasonable dates and then a universal flood that wiped out. Incidentally, that's a good thing to to remember in all this. There's an end to God's patience. One more year, maybe. One more year, see if there's fruit. And then it ends. Remember the flood. There's an expression in history, and some of you know it, some of you from maybe in Texas, remember the Alamo. Remember the Alamo. That would cause certain emotions to stir there and, and uh, in, in that battle against the Mexicans and all that that went on back then in, in Texas. Remember the Alamo. We ought to say to ourselves, remember the flood. It was a dramatic picture of the world that once was, that God's patience came to an end, and judgment fell. They were warned, in fact, for 120 years. As Noah built the ark for the saving of eight, and, the, and all that in Genesis 6, 7, and 8 in our text, and the flood fell. Incidentally, take, uh, just look at Second uh, Peter 3, because that's what Peter is, uh, is going to say here in his passage here on somewhere saying, well, where's the promise of the Lord? I thought you said Jesus was coming back. He's not here yet. And, P, uh, and so, in other words, he's not coming, I guess. And, uh, and, and I'm looking at 2 Peter 3, verse 4. Talking about in the last days, verse 3. Know that, first of all, that scoffers, that's a mocker, will come in the last days, scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, well, where's the promise of his coming? Where is Jesus? You said he's coming again. He's not here. And then they go on to say, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continuing as they were from the beginning of time. In your margin, right, uniformitarianism. 
That's currently what's taught in most universities and public schools. Everything is as it's always been. It's just continued that way. Things have continued that way from the beginning. For they, have deliber- for they, that is such ones, deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that means, and by means of these, the word that then existed was, here's the flood, deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years a day. You see, when you're eternal, there's no difference. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. It's future yet. It will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. And so on. Remember, remember the flood. There was a day in which God judged the earth and destroyed the souls of men and women, save eight people. And the point, wait another year. You go back to Luke. Wait one more year. Time is short. Don't delay. Repent today. The summary then, tragedy is hard and life is short. Tragedy is hard. It is. And life is short. But notice this. But life is more tragic. It's more tragic if one does not turn to God. Too late. Too late are scary words. Well, what are our lessons for life when we'll be done? Number one lesson, what can we say as a result of this repent or perish? Remember that God does not owe anything to anyone and that judgment is coming. God does not owe us happiness. He does not owe us uh, a long life. He does not owe us this. Those are words of justice. Rather, we cry out for mercy. Lord, hold back what I deserve. That's the starting point. Even Christians suppose, I suppose, they have that thought, God owes me a, a happy life, a good life, good family, free of problems and trouble. I don't, I don't read that in my Bible at all. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, sorrow and loss, and all the rest. Number two, know that according to Jesus, every tragedy, every single tragedy is another call by God for repentance. For we are not better than those who suffered. Don't think that way, he's saying. For we are all sinful enough to deserve the wrath of God. It's another call. Repent. And that night when I spoke to those doctors, many of them unbelievers and their wives, I ended with that. And here's the message. Don't miss it. God is calling you to repent. Don't delay. You go out and step off a curb and get hit by the bus in the next hour. Today is the day. Now is the time. Time is short. Death is certain. It's 100%. And you deserve it. And so do I. And be amazed that it wasn't us. Number three, the next time you hear of a disaster, think to yourself, that should have been me. 
for I too have committed cosmic treason against God. That should have been me. That's the right way to think. And then enjoy the fact that if you are saved, you're in the mercy of God. But that should have been me. Number four, there's an end to God's patience. There's an end of it. One day soon, the window of opportunity for forgiveness will be closed. Remember the flood. That ought to be our clarion cry. Remember the flood. The end of God's patience. Even a, even a tired mother with her little ones knows what that is. I'm going to give you to three. One, two. Right? We, I mean, we practice that, don't we? And they went, oh, one more time. One, two. You go like, lady, take care of business. <laughs> There's an end to it. There is. Doesn't it just keep going on and on and on? God sets all the boundaries. They're set already. That's the teaching of God's Word. Number five and last. Five. Act on Jesus' words. Oh, I urge you, humbly repent of your sins and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. If you never have, open your heart. Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord should be saved today. In your heart of heart, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I repent. I receive you as my Lord. Based upon the authority of God's Word, you'll be saved. Amen and amen. Well, well, I hope we don't open the papers tomorrow and hear about another hurricane or tsunami or, God forbid, an airplane or something worse, an urban setting with briefcase, atomic bombs and triggers and all that kind of... It's a strange world we live in. It is. And uh, But remember this. Every pleasure in life that God points to Him. Points to God. He is that but more. And every pain is a pointer as well. That's what our sin deserves. But even worse. May God help us. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for this text. It's a hard saying. And yet we should take it to heart and share it with our friends and families. For life is quickly passing. And eternity is a long time. And Lord, may we compassionately simply deliver the word. We don't make it, but we want to be those that warn, that stand on the, on the wall and provide warning, danger, repent or perish. And may we say it in words that are tenderhearted and loving and caring. And praying all the while that you would open the hearts of dead lost people, hearts that are like ours, until you open them. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Of the voice that called the worlds to be.
Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for challenging our lives. Thank you for being here with us. And we pray, Father, today that uh, what we shared and today and what we uh, feel in our hearts and how we lifted ourselves up in your presence, we just pray, Father, that it honored you and lifted up the name of Jesus. Thank you for your patience, your mercy. Thank you for the love that you've shown to us for our Lord Jesus. It's in his precious name we pray. Have a great week, everyone. Um, meeting will be in about five minutes or so.